0: Everybody, it's Raghu. I'm back with Ram Dass here and now, another episode. This talk is actually uh, from 1990, May 1993. And uh, the proposed title is Don't Forget the Breath. And before I introduce it a little bit, I just want to uh, do another shout out for this retreat that we've got going on in Boone, North Carolina, on August 25th through 29th. And uh, featuring, of course, Krishna Das will be there chanting every night and doing workshop during the day. And Robert Thurman and uh, Sharon Salzberg will be Zoomed in so she can uh, hang out with Bob, because we're going to be talking about uh, the intersection of bhakti and Buddhism. And uh, we also have Spring Washam, a wonderful teacher from the West Coast, a meditation teacher, as well as uh, she's very much into shamanistic practices and spends a lot of time in South America. And our own East Forest will be there doing some of that phenomenal music that he made with uh, Ramdas uh, several years ago. And Benji Wertheimer is going to be there playing with Krishnas and doing something a little bit with uh, Shantala and his wife, Heather. And I will be there. And Nina Rao is going to be there. It's going to be a wonderful event. And first time we're doing anything on the East Coast, there still are spots left. Go to ramdas.org slash retreat. Okay, so don't forget the breath. I, I you know, this is uh, Ramdas really f- focusing in on the efficacy of uh one-pointed concentration and uh using the breath to do so. And it has a marvelous meditation in there that uh, we can all practice. Uh, And he starts it off, I I like the way that he characterizes this whole deal here relative to the breath and awareness. And um, so he says, how do we live our lives so that we have access to the full quality of compassion, inherent compassion in in our hearts? And later on he talks about actually doing the meditation not just doing it for ourselves, we are doing it for all of us, so to speak. Uh, meaning that uh, it, takes you, it, it takes one out of that kind of silly, separate individual. I'm going to get better and I'll get enlightened, but it leaves out what about the us, you know? And uh, so there is a predicament. And, uh, you know, you do practices, right, to get out of the trap of your little guy self and and to move into planes of awareness where you recognize yourself as part of us instead of them. This is a major great topic, something I've been working on uh, in another realm with my friend Duncan Trussell. Uh, when uh, we talk about, I mean, this emanates from Krishnadas, the movie of me. So we're working on the, from the movie of me to the movie of us and that's exactly what Ramdas is talking about here. You recognize yourself again as part of the universe, part of the dance as us instead of them. The earth is of us. The suffering people in it are us, not them. And so when you have that kind of motivation in your practice, things absolutely shift perspective. And he says, because to become us and deny yourself is off balance and to become only yourself and deny us is also off balance. This is a, an incredibly subtle and tight rope, uh, Walker kind of thought here because it's about balance and, you know, you have to have an extended, he says, Ramdas says, an extended identity that includes me as a separate entity and me interdependent with everyone so that it's an us. And how do you keep that balance? Uh, that is one of the major issues in spiritual practice. Very difficult. And uh, that's why uh, in this particular talk, Ramdas so much emphasizes. Uh, meditative practice, and and he talks about the patience that's needed uh, to to be able to bring ourselves back to the point of awareness that we are using in this case, the breath. Uh, so uh, this is um, this is some really sage uh, wisdom from from Ramdas, and very practical. And, and, and again, he talks about doing it from the point of view of not strictly, this is going to make me more better, you know, this is for the benefit of all beings. It's a, it's a funny little, it's not a funny little, but it's a little shift of perspective that makes enormous difference. You know, when you're sitting there on your mat, on your cushion, your meditated cushion, meditation cushion, and you're just going, this is a bore, and why am I doing this? And I don't get it. And if you shift the perspective a little bit, well, part of this is for the benefit of all beings. And certainly me being able to get a little bit straighter with myself and realize the repercussions of the me, me, me individual, that I that we think from, which is why Ramdas's loving awareness meditation is so important, moves you out of that head space and into the heart space. Um, and he ends the thing, the breath. Don't forget the breath. And it can be used at any point during the day it's not just sitting on the mat in the morning or at night it's you're in the moment and you just you you have a recollection of spaciousness that is maybe missing because you're at work or you're in a family situation and things are you know with our busy lives ramp up on you and you forget and it's just like remembering in meditation to come back to the focus of of the Breath going in and out of the nostrils, which is what he's talking about here, or uh, similarly, the rising and falling of the abdomen. You keep coming back. You keep coming back. During the day, you come back when you remember, oh, wow, let me take a couple of deep breaths, several, three, into the center of my being and, and bring in loving awareness, bring in compassion. That's a huge difference when that perspective shifts. So here it is. This is Ramdas. And uh yeah, I think Don't Forget the Breath is a great title. Don't forget the breath. And uh don't forget to go to Ramdas.org slash Mountain Retreat to come into the it's an extraordinarily beautiful place in the Blue Ridge Mountains. That's the other attraction there. We're going to have, uh, you know, go for walks in the woods and do a little chanting and a little body movement in, in nature. It's um, it's going to be special. And this is Ramdas Here and Now on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and just enjoy all the great podcasts. Uh, you can catch me there uh, with mind rolling. And all the beautiful people that I get a lucky to hang out with. So we shall see you next time. Namaste.
1: Well, I I think I'd like to, um, uh, in a way, cut to the chase. Um, and um, usually, at um, in the I'm on a lecture tour now. Some of you have been to some of the lectures along the way. Um, And in the lectures, I sort of give a kind of metaphysical um, context in which we can see our lives from moment to moment, which is part of, like, your question. And um, but what I'm going to do today is um, assume it for the moment. And then, as you're not comfortable with the results of it, you can ask me to go back, and I'll, uh, by your questions, I'll know whether or not I should go back and pick up some of the metaphysical strings. And what I mean by cutting to the chase is, if it is true that we accept that we have arrived at certain assumptions. Certain assumptions like that there is the possibility of an individual to awaken. That uh, there is a mystery in terms of death and suffering in the universe with which we are going to become comfortable or relate to. that our incarnation is not an error. That it's right that we are here. It's not only right that we're here, it's right that we're in the exact situation we're in here at this moment, each of us. These are all the conclusions of the metaphysics. Also, that the paradoxes must be embraced. It's all empty and it's all full. There is time and there is no time, etc. There is form and there is formless. Now, I can go on and on with the assumptions that arise out of the metaphysics of awakening. But let's assume all those things for the moment and then say, where do we as individuals, what what are we to do? What should we do today? What should we do with our lives? How could we live our lives so that we have the optimum opportunity to hear the truth of the situation from moment to moment? How do we live our lives so that we are, we have accessible the full quality of the compassion, the inherent compassion in our hearts? How do we live our lives with sufficient perspective, moment to moment, so that we can we can enter into the moments of life with equanimity and peace. So there is truth or wisdom. There is compassion, love. There is equanimity and peace. And there is a passionate life, a life fully lived. Those are the four criteria. Those are where you're going. And out of all that comes joy when you're living that way truth, wisdom, in harmony with the universe around you, in the Tao, in the way of things. So your life feels from moment to moment, yeah, I'm in the right place at this moment. I mean, it's weird, but this is just what I should be doing just now. Now, how to realize those things Is what yoga and spiritual practices are about. To simplify your predicament at the moment, you were born into an incarnation. You were surrounded by people who thought who they thought they were was real. And they took you into what's called somebody training and you went to become somebody, to have a name, to have an identity, to have a social role, an expectation, and they weren't satisfied till you thought it was real. And the minute you thought it was real, then they'd started the next part of the training, which was to make you somebody special. See, just somebody isn't good enough. You gotta be somebody special. And the justification is the fear in you that to be nobody is to be a loser and to be a loser is a threat to your survival, psychologically or physically. And most of the people you read about in People magazine have been eminently successful at both of those games, becoming somebody and then somebody special. So they have developed very evolved ego structures. They know exactly who they think they are. And they have, as a result of their strategies of mind, amassed worldly power, fame or money or something, to show that they are somebody special. Then the next step that happens, and it doesn't happen to everybody, it apparently doesn't. Some people go all the way through to their death being somebody special and then freak when that person dies. But for a lot of people, or a few people, or an non- unknown number of people, there is an awakening process in which you suddenly realize you've been had. <laughs> that You not only aren't somebody exclusively, you aren't even somebody special exclusively. And the horror is balanced with the freedom of, oh my God, that is, I don't have to be that person anymore. Because any way you've defined yourself is already a prison. I mean, if you say, I'm a mother, great, but ma, I'm 50 years old, it doesn't matter, I'm your mother. I mean, it's, you can feel the, the rigidity with which roles hold on. I'm a truck driver but we're in bed it doesn't matter I'm a truck driver. We get imprisoned in our in our egos in our roles. What gets imprisoned? Awareness gets imprisoned. We think we think who we are. We've learned to think we are. We identify with this body, with a personality. We all have needs, desires, fears, hopes, yearnings, attachments, opinions, endless ones of those. And we think we're real. Well, are we real or aren't we? Well it turns out we're relatively real. <laughs> we're as real as anything else, but no more so then. And there's a lot of else that you are also that you're not being because you're busy being who you think you are too much of the time so that's the predicament that's why you do practices to get out of the trap of your own finite self to be able to move into the planes of awareness where you recognize yourself again anew afresh as part of the universe as part of the the dance as us as instead of them so, that the earth is us and the suffering people are us instead of them. The Bosnians aren't them, they're us. And how do you live with that kind of real identity? Not just an intellectual thought, we are us, but actually acting from the place of usness. The problem is it's frightening because you will lose something you are afraid in your identity as a separate entity. So that the whole issue of community identity or interdependency identity, as opposed to separate ego identity, is a major issue for many people. And the assumption of the work is that if you start from your separate entity, which feels vulnerable and frightened, and therefore you establish as much power around you as you can, your mind, that if you will liberate the energy from the exclusive identification with that, that is if you will open through practices into these other identities even though it will be frightening ultimately you will be free in the sense that you're in all of the identities you're not pushing away some and holding tightly onto some and out of that freedom you will hear the optimum response to make in any situation that embraces the we and the me because to become us and deny yourself is off balance and to become only yourself and deny us is also off balance and you and I are dealing partly with balance, with learning how to have a very rich and extended identity that includes me as a separate entity, me interdependent with all of you and everybody, so that it's us. And also, if I'm going to truly plumb the depths of my awareness and my mystical possibilities, the I that is are all of it is only one thing and it's all an internal job. There's only one. Is that concept, there's only one, just a concept or are we only one? If we're only one, is it only one plus me? Oh, great one. The one must include you or there's two. So there's also the plane of the oneness. And when you enter into that plane of oneness, there is neither one nor two. And then you experience the uh, emptiness inherent in form. Just like there is silence inherent in these words. And at this moment, you can take your awareness and focus on my words, or you can focus on the silence it's a figure ground issue so part of our process is methods that will help us escape from an inordinate preoccupation with ourselves as separate entities, that is, our ego structure, not so that we destroy it, but such that we are open to these other planes of consciousness, and then, ultimately, we integrate all these planes, and then we are both separate and non-separate. We are both the one and the many. I mean... Then you start to understand the mystical statements like there's nowhere to stand, meaning no plane you can stand on. There we begin to understand a mystical statement, one does nothing and nothing is left undone. How about that one? One does nothing. Now think of doing dishes. One does nothing and nothing is left undone. Can you do the dishes and not do the dishes at the same moment? If you aren't, you're a spiritual slob. You're totally undisciplined. You're totally into the drama of identifying with your actions. You're busy doing the dishes. What are you doing? I'm doing the dishes. Can't you see that? I'm doing the dishes again. I'm always doing the dishes. (laughs) I'm not gonna do those damn dishes. Here all the identity around dishes. How about the place behind it where it's nothing's happening? You're just sitting in your awareness and dishes doing is happening. It's interesting, you drive a car probably, most of you drive cars, and think about it, after you learn how to drive and you started to drive, you make these decisions about centrifugal and centripetal force Rates of acceleration and deceleration. I mean, the most complicated decisions you're making, and you're not even thinking about it. And most of the people, if they're driving a car, you say, What's happening? They'd say, I'm listening to the radio, or I'm thinking about where I'm going, or I'm trying, I'm working out that relationship, or I'm watching for the police, or I'm who knows what nefarious activity you're involved in in the car. But you're not busy. I'm, we're playing but not a great percentage of people are busy driving. I'm driving, you know. I can't think, I'm driving, see. See? Now there, there's a good example. There's a whole complex set of responses that went what they call on base brain. I mean, it went sort of on automatic, till a crisis arises and then you bring it back into consciousness and you trust that process will happen. It would be interesting to have your ego in the same category as driving a car, something you could call upon if you needed to be conscious of it, but you didn't have to spend all your time in it. It's just not an interesting enough place to spend all your time being separate from everything else in the universe. There is a basic alienation feeling in it, you might have noticed. So, our methods are to open us to these other planes of reality on which we simultaneously exist. First, get it so that we are balanced in these planes, so that we have access to them as readily as we have access to the one we started from. start to attend to what it is in the plane we started from is so sticky, keeps catching us so much, and start to work with it, like the issue of anger. and then act in the world in a way that honors the truth of all of these planes of consciousness at once. Okay, I think we're ready for practice now. The practices we want to do, basically, are we want to develop strategies for, for getting into connection to the mechanics of our mind, not just the content of our mind. Ever since you were born, you've been filling your mind with thoughts, information. If I ask you how much is two and two, most all of you will say four. That's a conditioned a thing, that's a thought form that you've developed. So you've been filling your head with what you'd call knowledge. The predicament with the stuff in your head is that you'll notice how absolutely demanding and seductive it is. It's very hard not to think it. You watch how much at the mercy of your thoughts you are all day long. You wake up I mean you're just waking up, I gotta go to the toilet thought. So you're suddenly somebody that needs to go to the toilet. Then you smell coffee or something. Ah, the aroma of coffee. That thought grabs you when you are aroma smelling of coffee. Then comes what was I dreaming about? Then the mind is reaching back to grab these sort of elusive images that are dissolving as you wake up. Then I got to do my laundry today. Then there's whole laundriness is your consciousness. And then I could sleep for 10 more minutes. <laughs> and there's that whole yearning. And then it's warm in that corner of the bed. And on and on. And the mind starts like a trip hammer. These are all happening at about a, a, a tenth of a thousandth of a second each. And they're just going... Vrrr. And you start. And all day long, your mind goes... Vrrr. Think me, think me, think me. I'm real. Think me, think me, think me. And your mind is... Pee, warm, laundry, call, da-da-da, stand upright, da-da-da, clothes, uh, hair, uh, face, uh, uh, e, on, on, eat, eat, enough, I'll stop, eat, walk, uh, left foot, right foot, walk, bus, ooh, uh, e, uh, e. and you can feel the whole day is just this, and then at the end of the day you fall exhausted in a bed, hope to go into deep sleep where you can break this thing, and then in the morning you start all over again. Now, is it possible that that stuff could keep coming up just as it does? It's like rivers flowing, you're not going to stop it. But that where you are inside in relation to it could not be at its mercy. Now, I'm trying to think of metaphors that would really work. Imagine a, you have a flashlight or a torch, as they're called in other parts of the world a flashlight and you turn on the flashlight and you flash it on it's dark on this and that now think of the flashlight as the awareness and the this and that's are all the thoughts feelings sensations all of that stuff that's coming like this br The awareness is the flashlight. Is it possible that the flashlight could rest in itself even though it is showing on different objects? In other words, does the, uh, the flashlight have to go out and identify with each thing or can it stay at rest in its awareness without grabbing at each thing? If you're sitting and watching and a river is flowing by and there are leaves on the river top and each leaf you go like this. How different than that is than if you kept your awareness right here focused on the river and through your consciousness went leaves. You see the difference? You see where one your awareness is going and in a way becoming the leaf all the way through, and then becoming the next thing that catches you all the way through. In the other one, the awareness is just sitting on the riverbank and the leaves are flowing by. This is what I'm talking about, about the mechanics of mind, not the content of mind. The leaves are the content. I don't care which content. You can have your own. We all have a lot of nice neurotic content. We should enjoy it. Now, there are two strategies in the mechanics of mind business. they both under the category meditation. And the minute you say the word, all the excess meaning you all have for it comes into play. Oh, my God, meditation. Oh, thank God, meditation. What does he mean? I don't, I can't meditate. I better sit up, you know. I mean, all those things, you know. I should go to the bathroom quick. (laughs) But the two strategies, there are a, a a number of strategies in meditation and a number of meanings of the word. But focusing just on freeing the awareness from having to identify with all the phenomena that arise in consciousness all the time. So you can take back your awareness and then you can explore other places and explore itself. One of the strategies to do that is what's called concentration or samadhi practices. And that is since the mind is going like this, to take one thought and make that your focus. It's like tethering a wild elephant to a post. The post will be this one thought. And the awareness and the instruction, very simply, it doesn't have any religious overtones, the instruction is very simple, it just says... Just stay with that thought. Let the awareness rest on that thought. And you try it and you see that within two seconds it's almost impossible. Because the awareness immediately gets pulled by something else. Like the thought, I'm thinking about a thought. Something else. So what happens if it's the, the way they tame an elephant, I'm not sure they should do it, and I'm not sure it's a moral process, but uh, it's an example. <laughs> I shouldn't use immoral examples, and I'm, I'm concerned about this example because I'm feeling for the elephant so much. Because when they take a wild elephant, they put a ring around one of its legs, a metal ring, and then they put a chain, and then they stake the post in the ground, and the elephant tries to go free and tries to do this, And it keeps pulling on its leg and pulling on its leg until it quiets down and it stays there. And then it's called a tame elephant. Then it lifts logs and people and eats peanuts and stuff like that. Carries people. But if you look at the mind, you could see that it's a little like this. I say to you, I'm going to give you a specific place to focus your mind. And then you'll see that when you try to do it, your mind is going to go like this. In fact, it's going to get more agitated the more I attempt to quiet it, the more you attempt to quiet it. And the agitation will leave your arm bloody, as it does with the elephant. But you just keep bringing your awareness back to this primary object. This is known as a samadhi exercise, a concentration exercise. It's fascinating to do if you don't guilt, get guilty or get aggravated. Let me tell you that if you could keep your awareness on your primary object for even 10 seconds, you would already be in some of the highest planes of enlightenment. So relax. Okay. Oh, I can keep my mind on something for 10 seconds, but you'll watch how it flickers through levels of all that immediately. So the impatience that is required is incredible. Because each time it moves away and you notice it's gone away, just bring it back to the primary object. Bring it back, bring it back, bring it back again. Okay? So we are now going to do a 20-minute sitting form of meditation in which I will instruct you about this one-pointedness of mind. And every time the mind wanders, bring it back to the primary object. The idea is to, of course, be quiet so you don't have to attend to your body too much, but if it If it's in pain, you can move it, just move it gently and quietly. Let me say as you begin this 20 minutes that this is a practice that I have done now for 22 years. And the most intensive I have done is where I did two months of it, 17 hours a day. All right, you're going to do 20 minutes. So as you're doing the 20 minutes, one of the thoughts you'll probably have is, he's done that 17 hours a day for two months. Then you'll understand what a psychotic you're listening to. Um, Any discomforts questions before we begin? Anybody doesn't understand what's going on? Okay, here we go. First get um, comfortable so that if possible your head, neck, and spine are in a straight line without making you uncomfortable though. You can lie down flat or sit up or sit in the chair upright. And then take a few um, slow intentional breaths in which you uh, release whatever tension Because now you don't have to think of anything I've said because I'll give you all the instructions you need. You can just relax into this moment. Now become aware of your breath. The breath is the primary object we are going to use. The reason we choose that is because it's something moving which makes it easier to keep attending to. And it's something very familiar and it's something you always have with you. It's not like a candle flame where you need to find a candle to meditate. So I'm introducing you to your breath as your primary object of meditation. So just attend to your breath at the moment. Hang out with it. It may, when you start to hang out with it, become um, voluntary rather than involuntary. It might start to... be uneven don't worry about it, just watch it just the way it is you can become aware of the qualities of it is it um, moist or is it dry is it uh, short or is it long is it um straight or is it round, is it uh, hard or is it soft? Be aware not only of the breath, but the places between the in-breath and the out-breath and the out-breath and the in-breath. Now we're going to intensify the practice by narrowing the focus. Instead of focusing on the entire breath, there are two traditional points used from which to watch the breath. One of them is the inside of the tip of the nose. Where you are like a gatekeeper and each in-breath passes by with the slightest breath or air against the receptors. And each outbreath so passes. And you don't follow, it's like a gatekeeper, you don't follow the being into the building or out into the world. But just stay at the gate. So you'd feel the sensation on your upper lip and on the inside of the tip of your nose. And if you're using this practice, you would... Maybe silently say to yourself for a while with each in-breath to keep your focus, breathing in, and then with the out-breath you'd say, breathing out. But if you're doing that, be careful not to make the words the object, but stay with the breath as the object at the tip of the nose. Now, let's explore just the alternative for a couple of minutes. The alternative is that in your abdomen Right below your rib cage, there is a muscle that moves with each breath. And with the in breath, it rises, and with the out breath, it falls. Located so that it's the experience of that particular little muscle rising, falling. And that's what you would say to yourself. With each in breath, you'd say rising, with each out breath, falling. Rising, falling. You can see that that practice keeps the energy more in the middle of the body. The nose one keeps it more um, on the periphery, but that's up to you. You now, for the rest of this session, of these next 15 minutes or so, make a choice to either follow the breath at the tip of the nose or the muscle in the abdomen, either breathing in, breathing out, or rising falling. Let your awareness rest with the breath at the tip of the nose or in the abdomen, as you have chosen. Be aware not only of the Movement of the breath, but of the still moments between the in-breath and the out-breath, or the rising and the falling, and the still breath between the falling and the rising, or the out-breath and the next in-breath. Your job in the next 15 minutes, for the benefit of all beings everywhere, out of your compassion, is to keep your awareness on the breath at the tip of your nose or in your abdomen. There's nothing else you have to do now. So every thought or sensation that arises that draws your awareness to it, just notice it lightly and notice that you have left your breath. And instead of feeling guilty about it or upset or argumentative, just go back to the breath. Again and again, just go back to the breath. If you're uncomfortable, note uncomfortableness, then go back to the breath. If the discomfort persists, you can move your body. Notice the way the awareness is caught in moving the body, and then the minute the body is quiet, go back to the breath. If sounds arise, note them the air conditioner. If air on your skin, if you notice it, if you notice anything, become aware that you are noticing it and then return to the breath. Be with each breath as precisely as you are able to be, either at the tip of the nose or at the abdomen. Be aware of the qualities of the breath, its duration, the changes, as if you were studying the breaths such, so intimately, right up with it, as if or as if you were riding the breath like a horse, like riding a horse or riding a wave. Any model of whether this is hard or easy is just another thought. All the metaphors I suggest are just more thoughts. Let them arise, notice them, go back to the breath. Each time your mind wanders, note it and then once again, gently, lightly, happily return to the breath. As if the breath were a friendly cave you were coming back into that was warm and comfortable. like hanging out with the breath. either at the tip of the nose or the muscle in the abdomen. If you find yourself fatigued, take a few deep intentional breaths and then quiet back into your normal rhythm of breathing. But keep your awareness alert, precise, and at the same moment relaxed. I know a woman in Calcutta who, on the first day of doing this meditation, went into the deepest state of concentration. So there's no time frame. It may take you a minute or lifetimes. All you know is that each time the mind wanders, bring it back to the breath. Three more minutes of this meditation. In these three minutes, renew your attention to the details of the breath. The breath, don't forget the breath.